Welcome to the MSF Farm Talk podcast. I'm Tanya Morgan and today I'm coming to you from the Kylite pub. We're on a bit of a road trip at the moment for Mallee Research Updates and I'm joined by Sean Mason who's a research agronomist with Agronomy Solutions. Welcome Sean. Hello Tanya, very nice setting here. I could get used to this. It's a great setting especially <laughs> sitting here with a beer on a nice afternoon. So I know we had you on recently and we talked about where we could make savings with our fertiliser budgets given that the cost of fertiliser is so high this year. But for this round of updates, we've been focusing more on phosphorus nutrition and the nitrogen bank as well. We've asked the crowd at every event, have they been soil testing? And the results have been a resounding yes, they are doing their soil testing for phosphorus. But you've got a pretty important message around PBI. Tell us about that. Yeah, it's good to see the feedback that people are soil testing. They're also using data layers and we can talk a bit more about them moving forward to aid their fertiliser decisions. So I think one of the data layers that can be quite important and cost effective when doing a sampling program, whether that's people are doing zones, which is if we are doing grids, is potentially a phosphorus buffering index. So like I said, quite cheaper at the lab. It's based off inherent soil property. It's really good that if we get it right and go back to GPS point, then we don't need to do it again. So we can keep that data for a long time. Basically what the PBI does is informs us of the effectiveness of our residual P or our fertiliser additions and how that builds to our residual P. Several amounts of work have been happening around the place, notably looking at what soil characteristics have been driving P responses in the paddock at the moment and the resounding driver has been this phosphorus buffering index. So measuring components of the soil and, and namely calcium carbonate which drives alkalinity. With the presence of that, we've got inflated PBI, we've got less efficient uh, use of our fertiliser, so a lot of it's been locked up, and that's coming through with the soil tests, and then actually validating that with P responses through trials is, is actually saying, yeah, these are the areas that, that may have been underperforming, and that also comes out with data layers. What sort of t- soil types generally have a high PBI that you'd be concerned about? In uh, the region where we've been travelling, it'll be... Most often the alkaline patches and we've been looking at between seven and a half and eight is a clear indication that some sort of tie up characteristics of the soil, so that's in calcium chloride, pH I should say. So yeah, matching the pH with the PBI, inflated PBI, and nine times out of ten it'll be calcium carbonate present. So calcium carbonate unfortunately loves to lock up phosphorus. Calcium phosphates form quite readily and very quickly and yeah the plant competition for these forms is really does struggle to get these forms back into solution and the availability pool but it's a longer period of time so they're trickling back in so on an annual requirement uh, these reactions have compete the plant unfortunately. A lot of parts of the Mallee do tend to see a high pH we have rocky soils where you might get a fizz responsive soil type so they're the sort of soils we need to be worried about. Yeah well we don't talk much about that sort of very easy soil test yeah it's quite easy to see if there's the present of and the fine form of calcium carbonate is really important for inflated PBI because that's what the crop's growing in. So we may visually see limestone rocks, but it really is the fine material that we're interested in. If you've got a form of acid and you'd like to pour it on and see if it fizzes or not, and the, I suppose, ferocity of that fizz will tell you how much calcium carbonate. And we do it at the lab, just a visual, just to screen other tests as well, because calcium carbonate is important with other interpretation. You did put up a graph during our research updates that showed what an adequate level of phosphorus might be when you didn't have PBI available and how that's changed. Can you explain that? Yeah, through our very good recent practices and improvements, namely no-till, high analysis fertilisers, so our P source coming from MAP and DAP. We have highlighted and research has highlighted in the past that we actually need 
higher desired um, cobalt P levels with increasing PBI, and that's a pretty good published relationship there. So across our paddock, they may mean that if we don't have information that our cobalt P's may be misinterpreted, but I guess on the flip side, that with knowing PBI across our paddock, then critical cobalt P levels do change, and they can change quite dramatically across different soil types across the paddock. We've got a really good data set recently, and we'll try and get it out in the literature, but with GRDC recent work and field trial accumulation, we are seeing that this old relationship is, is probably a little bit lower than what we like, and it does really draw back where we are seeing the responses. So we've got a relationship where our actual cobalt P's target is actually quite a bit high. So we're talking about roughly, by memory, we're talking about almost nearly 40, 45 for PBIs around 100, and that, again, drops down just simplifying it, it it targets probably around that 25 to 30 with PBI of of 50 so it does really change quite dramatically yeah to make a big difference yeah Yeah, for sure so a lot of people are looking at soil amelioration and you're saying that once you've got your PBI measure that doesn't need to be done again when you're doing soil amelioration it does yes very good point that's based off inherent property so I guess once you manipulate your soil profile and you are bringing up different soil types or potentially heavy textured soils with ripping it that obviously does change your profile if we are bringing up a source of soil that does fix p then it will change i from the data i have seen normally these constraints and why we rip are on sandy soil generally these soils have very low pbi so that increase in pbi with any ripping operation or soil manipulation is it does increase but it's not to the detriment that will actually change replacement P program so it's a good one to check absolutely. Now you also talked about some cheap easily accessible data layers that people could access to try and work out what their P strategy might be. Yeah and it's good to see that the feedback or one people are zoning so the next question was what data layers are you using to zone your paddock and then a lot of people in this area are variable rating their fertilizer which is excellent and a lot of these data layers were based off grain yield map so that's simply replacing it doesn't have to necessarily be p it can be nitrogen as well when we talk about nitrogen balance so a grain yield map is good so replacing what's taken off with old rules of thumb and grain concentrations the other one was ndvis i suppose my only comment would be there that we are starting or we are picking up the p responses in the poor ndvi zones that can be quite sensitive and a good representation of the variability of p across your paddock ndvi we know p supplies is early so I guess my message would be don't just dismiss a poor production zone, whether it's NDVI or grain yield. I think it's a pretty good signal to go out and actually investigate. So in the part, yeah, in with our recent data, we've seen that this is the poor growth that's actually been driven by peas. In a natural replacement scenario, this area wouldn't get as much pea as a good production. So therefore, we're actually driving the difference of pea availability further in our paddock. Um, we're not actually leveling it up. A lot of these zones, we can actually increase production and DVI by um, reallocating the phosphorus onto our responsive part so that's one way of course NDVI and grain yield maps can mean a lot of things in terms of constraints as well with that I think that there's another cheap one could don't underestimate the power of Google Earth if it's sometimes you get a capture of a, of a green early season growth of a paddock that's really good information to see growth patterns and you can see bare earth as you can actually see the variation in soil types and where these flats and calcareous parts might be coming in and then another additional layer that people have come back with is EM38 or any other soil survey might be grid so any information on your soil type properties is beneficial. Some people just can't get their machinery to talk to one another to get some of these data layers and even using their own experience and understanding of where they have good production zones is better than nothing. Obviously driving over their paddocks 
spraying operations. Yeah, quick, very quickly identify early vigor patterns, production early on, and obviously matching that with pretty good knowledge of soil type change across paddock it can be vital and very powerful. The Mallee was a bit hit and miss last year. Some areas managed to get a reasonable finish, others didn't, so there's likely to be some pea left over in the system. From early results that you've received at the lab so far, are you seeing any trends? So when we talk about pea budget, they're simply removal. If you've got, got an idea of grain yields and knowing how much you put on, you can quickly work out if you're in surplus and if you have a, had a poor year last year. Remind us what, what the removal is for different crops. Yeah, general rules of thumb will be three kilograms per tonne of cereal grain, so we can combine wheat and barley in that. If we are growing canola, obviously not as common as before, that's it's quite a large takeoff. Our yields are lower, but that's about seven kilos per tonne replacement or removed and obviously more popular these days the, the pulses so grouping the lentils in generally between four and five kilograms per per ton of production off off the paddock good to know i know that people are looking at the cheapest form of fertilizer applied this season a lot of people going back to single super to get a hit of pea and even some sulfur what are your recommendations on form of pea as I say, high analysis fertilizer is, is high analysis. I guess that's their proven proven performers, and particularly at the moment, talk about these responsive identification and responsive zones and soil characteristics driving that. Unfortunately, they do separate out in terms of performance MAP with a super form with alkaline and the presence of calcium carbonate. There's there's a lot of data showing that the MAP and DAP forms better. Having said that, in low PBI soils and no fixation um, potential, the superphosphates can supply P. Yeah, optimal placement still going to be yeah, slightly below the seed for that early uptake and crop pea demand. Um, and just finally, time of sowing. How's that going to influence <laughs> what we need? Yeah, peas very dynamic and complex. We have recent data in South Australia, which backs up New South Wales data. And so if we do have moisture present, hopefully we can get a good April. And our data suggests a 40 mil month prior to sowing, 40, 50 mil, we can actually cut back on it our phosphorus rates. The mechanism of that is essentially warm conditions, adequate moisture, crops get away really well, our root systems develop quite quickly and expiration of residual pea is really important for efficient pea uptake so there's going to be less reliant on our fertiliser pea. might be counterintuitive that you think, oh, bigger crop potential, we may need to feed this a bit more but expiration that residual pea pool and getting money back from what we've actually applied in the past is efficient with the early time zone if moisture is present that's the key as soon as we get into the cooler months yeah that whole pea process and root system dynamic and pick up a residual pea does slow so therefore we do need that fertilizer pea input we'll keep our fingers crossed i know some northern mallee farmers have had some pretty decent summer rains so hopefully that continues and thanks very much for joining us today on the msf farm talk podcast no problems Thanks to Western Local Land Services, this program is proudly supported by the New South Wales Government through its Environmental Trust. Thanks for joining us. If you want to hear more, like and subscribe to the MSF Farm Talk podcast. Catch you later.